This is Jim Wallace for the Soul of the Nation. George Herbert Walker Bush was a man and political leader that most everybody liked, if you listen to all the reflections about the 41st president who died. One of the nicest and most decent men I ever knew testified leaders from across the political spectrum, a person with genuine character and dignity. The thousands of personal notes and thank you cards that Bush wrote to people, especially those in difficult situations, showed his deep feelings of empathy and compassion, which came naturally to him. Many say he was clearly guided by moral and religious principles. I've been especially struck by how many people have spoken about his characteristic humility throughout his career as one of the most powerful leaders of the most powerful nation in the world. He said that modesty was inculcated into him by his mother, and George and his beloved wife Barbara worked to make this humility a family trait. He hated bragging, and people who did. Instead, he continuously lifted the values and calling of service and even the commitment to sacrifice for others and his country. All the media reports and memorials on the passing of Bush 41 have listed his many missions over his 94 years. Commentaries have recounted his careers at most every level of elected office, from bottom to top, envoy and ambassador to countries all over the world, director of institutions like the CIA, chair of his own Republican political party, and most post-presidential missions, like bringing humanitarian aid after disasters, which he did with Bill Clinton. But I believe the remembrance of the life of George H.W. Bush last week and going forward give this man perhaps one final mission, to demonstrate the values that reveal who genuine leaders are and contrasting values, or lack thereof, that reveal who is not. What does a leader do or not do? What are the markers of true public service that differentiate it from public exploitation? At his passing, the reflections on Bush's life and leadership paint a clear contrast at such a historically dangerous moment in American life, a moment in which we grapple for words like decency, character, dignity, empathy, humility, service, sacrifice, or morality to assign to those in leadership today at the highest levels. We grapple for those words as we look to the highest levels of power in Washington today. It's true that the Bushes were entrenched in the elitism of American patrician leadership, with all the injustice and hypocrisy that contains. Columnist E.J. Dion said, Nevertheless, our country would be better if elites were as public-spirited as Bush was, and if conservatism reflected the Eisenhower style of balancing capitalism with public action. Last week revealed an inescapable contrast between personal and public values and practice by a passing president and the ruling one. 
If we allow that to become a national reflection, even a national moment of prayer, even repentance, might last week help us save the soul of this nation. Now let's be clear. George H.W. Bush was no saint. And as Dion put it, saints don't win elections. The 1988 campaign in which he won the presidency was an ugly one against Michael Dukakis. The infamous Willie Horton ad deliberately exploited racial fear and hatred for political gain. And even Lee Atwater, the dirty politics expert who led Bush's campaign, ultimately apologized for it in his deathbed repentance. That kind of Republican use of racism is historically connected to where we have come today with Donald Trump. And Trump's racial tribalism has now taken over the Republican Party. Bush often went along with Republican politics as a loyal systems guy. Todd Purdom said in The Atlantic, in his first Senate race in Texas in 1964, he abandoned his family's moderate republicanism to join Barry Goldwater in opposing the landmark Federal Civil Rights Act as an invasion of privacy rights. But he agonized in a letter to a Jewish friend and supporter, what shall I do? How will I do it? I want to win, but not at the expense of justice, not at the expense of the dignity of any man, not at the expense of teaching my children a prejudice I do not feel. Four years later, as a member of Congress from Houston, Bush bravely supported the 1968 Fair Housing Act over the opposition of many of his constituents. Bush later supported important updates to the Clean Air Act. The Americans with Disabilities Act was perhaps his most important domestic accomplishment, marked by one of the largest bipartisan bill-signing ceremonies on the White House lawn in American history. Democrats last week who were there reminded us of what Bush said at that moment. Quote, let the shameful walls of exclusion finally come tumbling down. Bush's greatest contributions, though, probably came in the foreign policy arena. Many of those decisions I didn't agree with. But his characteristic humility and his mother's instructions against bragging helped Bush to manage the very complicated and dangerous process of ending the Cold War. Bush wasn't one to spike the football or dance on the falling Berlin Wall. His skills at building relationships were certainly helpful as he and Mikhail Gorbachev negotiated a tremendous change in the world order without bloodshed. Political disagreements, even substantial ones, persisted all last week as we remembered the oldest living president in American history. But the personal values, the family values, the moral values of the man memorialized in the National Cathedral were overriding politics. Because the Bush family is so hospitable and honorable, the current president was invited to the service. But he was not invited to speak. Instead, he was in the presence of four other living presidents. 
I wonder if this very awkward, even perhaps painful day for him might cause some personal reflection on his part about these contrasting values. For our nation and our nation's leaders, we are always instructed to pray and hope for redemption. This is Jim Wallace for the Soul of the Nation.